Hey, one of the funny things that happens during football season, college football, and I guess in regular football, but for college football specifically, people people will say, "Well, Philip, why are you an Alabama fan? You know, you didn't, you're not from Alabama. You went to UT San Antonio. Um, how are you an Alabama fan, right? And the truth is, I'm not really an Alabama fan. I'm more of a Nick Saban fan, right? Same reason why I like Greg Popovich as a coach, the Spurs. Uh, head coach, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Well, I like Mike D'Antoni, which other than the fact that I'm a Rockets fan, um, you know, same with Steve Kerr or Bill Belichick. They're all process uh, coaches. The success of a team is is not necessarily relied on player selection, although you have to have uh, good players. Um, but but the success of the team comes from the process, right? Because if, if you make it to college or NFL or NBA, you, there's a lot of folks with skills and there's a lot of teams with good skilled players that don't win consistently, but the process is what matters more than the player selection, right? Going back to Nick Saban, he's designed a simple, consistent process that allows his team to be a champion contender every year. Um, you know, every year, they don't may not win every single year, but it's a consistent process that allows them to get to the top every single year. And he did it at LSU and at Alabama. S- same rules apply with investors. A lot of, a lot of people think that you have to be an excellent uh, mutual fund or stock picker to be a really good investor. But when you look at actual, the actually really good investors, it's uh, the ones who have a process, a well thought out, consistent process, and they stick to the process. The process isn't perfect. It, it does not land them in the top spot every single year. But over time, they win and do well because they have a consistent, well thought out process, right? And so here's the principles that go into the process that, that I use to manage accounts for uh, 401k plans, the individual clients. Um, uh, and then I'll go into the actual like process, right? So first is asset allocation, uh, which is how much money you put into different asset classes. Asset allocation is the major driver of returns, right? That's principle number one. Principle number two, the economic environment is the major driver of which asset classes outperform and underperform over time. So basically, depending on what economic environment uh, you're in, and you and, and there's about f- four of them, um, uh, or f- you know, four categories, uh, based on where we are, asset classes have historically acted the same in the same environment. So for example, uh, in economic expansion, um, stocks do well. Right in an economic recession, bonds, cash, gold uh, tend to do well. Um, if 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 the economy expanding is expanding and there's rising inflation, then you say, okay, stocks do well. But what types of stocks? Right. Well, uh, manufacturing, construction company stocks, energy stocks, emerging market stocks like non-U.S. Uh, those have typically done well. And you can look at you know, over different times in history when inflation is falling. Um, U.S. stocks do have to typically done well. Large company stocks have typically done well. Uh, tech specifically, um, growth growth stocks, and so um, the economic environment is the big driver. Which asset classes historically uh, do well over time? Principle number three: uh, lower cost funds tend to outperform higher cost funds. Right? The the, the the other than the obvious reasons why it's just in the data. Like when you look at the data, you say, hey, there's sixty thousand funds out there. You know, which, which ones consistently land in the top uh, performers year in and year out. And cost is the uh, really only factor you can look at um, that lands consistently in the top 
um, over time. And you don't have, I'm not necessarily saying go pick the lowest cost fund. Uh, what I'm saying is cost matters, right? You, you wanna, um, all things being equal, tend to lean towards the lower cost funds and the higher cost funds. Principle number four, low tracking error. What is tracking error? So let's, let's say you're looking at low cost funds. It's typically gonna be uh, index funds and exchange traded funds are low cost. They basically just track an index. So everybody heard of the S&P 500. It's an index that tracks the 500 largest stocks in the US. Um, and so there's an index for it, right? And so if you have an index fund, it's basically replicating the index. And so a low tracking error means it does, it does clo as close to what the index does um, uh, when, you know, when managing a portfolio so that you, it stays close to the return that that index does over different periods of time, right? And so if you're saying, hey, asset allocation is the driver, so I, was, I wanna get the right asset classes so I can go find an index and then go find a low cost fund that replicates the index. Um, you want low tracking gear because you know that they're doing what they can to, to, to track uh, close to it. Now, sometimes, um, I don't want I don't want, I don't, I won't go super nerd on that, but low tracking, low tracking air. Principle five, a culture of stewardship, right? So you can, and this, this is not quantitative. This is more qualitative. When you, when you talk to a mutual fund company or when you see, their advertisements and their layouts and, and talk to people, talk to the salespeople, watch the CEO talk. Is it a culture of stewardship, right? Do they, you know, I, I think one thing that human beings are really good at is reading people. And you can tell, you know, BS from non-BS, right? Do they, do they genuinely uh, put the clients first or are they, you know, mostly focused on profit? And you can pick that up uh, in the culture. And so that's really important too, which is why, you know, again, you can't just use, you know, the lowest expense, the lowest tracking area. You have to weight all these things um, when you're selecting funds um, together. Uh, principle number six, there's no such thing as a safe investment. Therefore, diversification is one of the best risk management strategies to implement when looking to grow and protect your wealth. Right? Diversification simply means um, you, you're not going to make a killing in the short term, but you're also not going to get killed, right? No big bets. Um, and, and that's, that's a principle, like the best, you know, the, you, a bank can go under, right? Um, bonds, even by the government, they could default. It's happened over time. Um, but spreading your money out in multiple different places, right? Is really when I think about, you know, how do I protect my wealth or the, and the wealth that I'm building? Um, best way possible and it's just spreading out right because if everything gets hit that's that's you know only I can imagine the Armageddon type situation right so you want to uh, diversification is an amazing a diverse management strategy that's been around for thousands of years um, you know uh, and it is, is, it's what I know as one of the best ways to manage risk principle number seven patience is required is a required character trait for the successful investor. That's self-explanatory. I don't know any overnight people, you know, wealth builders um, that have kept it and earned it. Um, um, and you have to be patient, right? You gotta think long-term, checking your account every day, every month, or even every week, really even every month, doesn't do you any good. If you have a long-term strategy, just stick with it, follow the plan. Um, it takes time, it's boring, but it's the way to build wealth. So how do you use these principles to create a portfolio? 
basically I use these four steps, right? Create a plan uh, and or an investment policy statement based on um, goals, objectives, and timeframes, right? So a plan is what's needed to make the plan work, what, you know, what rate of return is, conservative net rate of returns needed, how much do you have to invest, and how much are you, based on how, with, with how much you're starting with, right? Um, to reach whatever goal you have. An investment policy statement is <clears throat> a process used to make investment decisions, right? And this, this can apply to individual investors, but it's really also for 401k plan sponsors, right? You, you, you have to, as a fiduciary, which you're a fiduciary, if, you, if you're a business that sets up a 401k plan, uh, you have to have a process for how you make decisions, how you select funds um, that's prudent, right? And, and you want to follow the rules of what the DO, the Department of Labor uh, gives out there. But you need an investment policy statement that sets that up in there so that way you're not making emotional decisions on how you pick funds because these are not just your funds. These are for your employees who you are, you have fiduciary responsibility over, right? Um, so uh, investment policy statement sets that up um, and it has the objectives of the plan and all that in there. Uh, so that's the first step. Step number two, uh, use fundamental economic and technical analysis to determine which economic environment we are currently in. Uh, there's no need to predict the future. This allows you to know which asset class or this allows us to know which asset class we would like to have more of our money in and less of our money in, right? So don't worry about what fundamental economic technical analysis means. You can Google that or go to Investopedia. But it's a it's a um, quantitative process that allow and there may be some qualitative in there, but mostly a fact evidence based process allows you to say, all right, what environment are we in? And the reason why I say you don't have to predict the future is a lot of folks say, hey, Philip, what do you think the market's going to do next year? I don't know. I don't have to know to manage a portfolio. Is it's more like the think of like the weather, right? You can wake up in the morning, watch the weather channel, or step outside, and you know what the temperature is, and so you know how to uh, clothe for that day. And just like the weather, right, the, the weather trends, it's not just, it's not randomly cold, hot, cold, hot all year long. Maybe, maybe some parts of the year when the weather is transitioning, but we have a long winter, a long summer, a long spring, long fall, you know, relatively long. So markets work the same way. When you go in and out of those economic, uh, different economic environments, those are multi-year environments most times. And so if you can, if you have a system set up that allows you to, quote unquote, check the temperature, and know what trend we're in, you could um, uh, weight your portfolio or you know allocate assets in your portfolio based on the current um, uh, economic trend we're in. And historically, that's done really well um, uh, for allocating assets. Right when if you, if if you want to be a nerd and do research on it, um, and I may have to do a whole other podcast to go <laughs> into how to do that research, but Point is, um, it's a great way to um, allocate uh, assets based on my research and plenty of other, uh, you know, research. Specifically, is this is a, a mild form of trend following. But if you Google trend following, you'll find loads and loads of evidence of trends and how they work, right? And how to build systems um, uh, to pick up a trend. Uh, um, Number three, select a diversified group of investment funds that, in, that invest in asset classes needed to build the portfolio that are low cost with low tracking error from a company with a culture of stewardship. And I kind of covered that before, right? When you're selecting, right? If you create the plan, 
get the economic environment right, then you can go select the right investments, um, factoring in cost, tracking error, and culture of stewardship to build the portfolio. And then four, um, you know, is the hardest part, and it's being patient, right? It's setting up accountability. Maybe it's a financial advisor. Probably I'm biased, but I think it, the biggest role of the financial advisor right, is to um, help clients stick to their plan and be patient because it's not hard like it's easy the, the the first three you can do like it's plenty of options to build the portfolio based on your goals and all that but as far as staying patient being patient and disciplined only you can do that so you need to make sure that you set your environment up in a way that keeps you accountable to your plan and a financial advisor is a great way to do that if you're an individual and a financial advisor is a great way to do that if you're a plan sponsor to make sure that you the plan sponsor and the investment committee are you have a consistent process and you're adhering to a consistent process because you as a plan sponsor have a big liability if you don't um that's pretty much it uh I'm Philip Washington, Chief Investment Officer of Stonehill Wealth Management, a registered investment advisory firm. Information presented in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investment involves risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to consult with all qualified uh, advisors, tax professionals, legal professionals before implementing any strategy discussed in this episode. Performance is not indicative of future performance. For past performance, no indicator of future performance. Y'all enjoy your day.